something happen. Well, we're starting a new sermon series this morning, um, really in preparation for Holy Week. Um, Good Friday and Easter and all that comes with that um, is just a month away, right? And, and it's always good to spend some time preparing for some of these big events on the church calendar um, to help it really to become more meaningful to us, right, to our faith. Um, the series we're going to enter, enter into is, is called The Cross. <clears throat> there really is a reason why the, that the cross is such a prominent um, thing that's in most Christian worship places, right? The cross is crucial to us, to our salvation, as we've been singing about this morning. Um, and, and it also, if you think about it, it really um, shares with us some very important information about who our God is, what he's about, right? The significance of the cross. So we're going to be looking at, looking at that for the next few weeks. Um, we'll also be talking a little bit about um, the wounds that Jesus endured um, when, with his encounter with the cross. There's some really meaningful things that come from those wounds that we'll be talking about as well. So so last few months... Um, We've been looking a lot at Jesus, specifically as an example to us in our life of faith. Um, and I think sometimes we think that all we have to do is imitate Jesus, right? Just what is, what is the what would Jesus do thing? All you have to do is do what he does, right? And we'll be good. But the truth is that without God, without specifically his spirit working in our life, we don't usually have that option to just be like Jesus, right? We just can't do that on our own. We can't just do the right thing. And at this time of year, as we look at the story surrounding Easter and Jesus' death and resurrection, it really only takes one look at Peter, right? If we look at Peter, he reminds us about that, that we can't just go out there and be like Jesus without God's help, um, what do we remember Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, as? I mean, you, th you think about Peter. Peter was this bold and brash character, right? Um, he was sometimes like a bull in a china closet, right? Um, he was super aggressive. Let's just get this done. Let's do this, right? And I appreciate that about Peter. He was a go-getter. But if you read through the Gospels, you'll see that, that Peter had some of his own struggles, Right? Um, you see in the Gospels, Jesus warned his disciples multiple times that he was going to be arrested, that he was, he was going to be crucified. In fact, if you open your Bibles with me this morning to Matthew chapter 26, um, one of those times where Jesus is talking about what's going to happen um, is kind of one of those famous moments between Peter and Jesus. Um, it was during the Last Supper, and Jesus tells his disciples that, that all of them will abandon him, right? Matthew 26, verse 31, it says, Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And then we have Peter starting to talk, right? Um, even Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter keeps talking. <laughs> Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. 
And, and look at the last part there. And all the other disciples said the same thing. You see that? Lord, I will never, ever, ever, ever disown you. It's never going to happen. And yet we know the rest of the story, right? <laughs> now, in defense of Peter, I mean, again, we see in verse 35, it, it wasn't just Peter. And I think we, we sometimes lose sight of that a little bit. Peter's always the bad guy, right? But, but Peter wasn't the only one. The other disciples said the same thing. I think it's really kind of dangerous telling people that you'll never, ever, ever do something, right? I mean, have you ever been in those situations? Uh, parents, parents frequently say things, and, and, I, and I was a parent, so I've said things like, like, I will never let my kid play with that toy, or I will never, ever, ever let my kid spend that much time watching TV, or, or I'd never let my kid say anything like that. And really, it comes back to all sentences pretty much, right? I will never. Well, you're going to probably eat those words, right? Truth is that if we, that really we rarely know how we're going to respond to specific scenarios in our lives until they actually happen to us. We've seen other people's responses. We've hopefully learned from their responses. But, but until we actually encounter them, it seems like we we have a little more pride and we think that our response is of course going to be with greater wisdom and and grace and but oftentimes that's not the case right maybe i'm the only one that's experienced the whole foot and mouth thing you know um but again let's not be too harsh on peter later on in the same chapter we see jesus has been arrested right and all of jesus Jesus's disciples as 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 Jesus predicted, they've all scattered, except for one. You know who didn't scatter? Peter. <laughs> Peter actually, as we follow the story, we'll read it in just a second here, he's followed the mob to the Sanhedrin where Jesus has been arrested. They're hauling him off to be tried and ultimately convicted of blasphemy. He actually gets convicted that, that he called himself the Messiah. Can you believe that? Um, Peter's in the courtyard of the high priest when that happens he's actually there verse 60 69 um, it says now peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him that's really rough competition right those servant girls they are tough they are mean at least one person's laughing i'm, I'm i appreciate that um and she said to him you also were with the jesus of galilee but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Verse 71, then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl, see there, those servant girls are after him. You can laugh again. What? There we go, there we go. And he said to the people there, this, the servant girl said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And Peter again denied it with an oath. I don't know the man. <laughs> after a little while, standing there went up to Peter and said surely you're one one of them your accent gives you away then he began to call down curses and he swore to them I don't know the man and immediately a rooster crowed then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows you will disown me three times and he went outside and he wept bitterly This passage really kind of gives us a contrast between Jesus' situation and 
Peter's situation, right? Jesus is facing these powerful religious um, political leaders. Um, and depending on how he responds to their questions, he's pretty much guaranteed to, to find some really, really tough things, right? It's going to lead to his suffering. And then we have Peter, who's accused again by a little girl, <laughs> a servant girl, who think about it, that time of the world, her occupation, her age, even her gender made her really low on the social ladder, right? And yes, Peter's response might get him into bigger trouble eventually, right? Other people are paying attention, but it's not quite on the, on the same level as Jesus, right? Jesus is facing something much more difficult than what Peter's facing, right? And yet, while Jesus is holding fast before these huge threats, Peter denies Jesus, <laughs> again, in front of these girls, you could even imagine the scene. He, he kind of starts off with this white lie, and, a, and it starts growing, right? Things get worse, and eventually turns into this full-blown denial of Jesus with even harsh language. He swore, right? I mean, it truly is a difficult moment for Peter, right? And yet again, in, in defense of Peter, all the disciples fell away that night. All of them. He's not the only one. <clears throat> But who seems to be thrown under the bus? It's Peter, right? Why? It really, you know, as you think about this story, we've heard it a million times. Why, why Peter, when everyone else is doing the same thing, why is he the one pointed out? Now, I think there's really a simple answer to this. It's because it's Peter, right? If anyone is going to be brash and bold, I mean, if anyone is going to be able to stand alongside of Jesus in this most difficult of times, it would be who? Peter, right? Peter. <laughs> and yet, even Peter failed. That really is the point of this story, isn't it? Even Christ's closest, strongest followers failed to confess him in his darkest hour. And that might even include you. <laughs> Not me, of course, right? <laughs> no, that might include all of us. You think? We're not unlike Peter. I think we too at times can deny Christ. Maybe not in this clear confrontation where someone comes up and says, Bruh. I actually had a philosophy teacher at Boise State who did that to our class multiple times. Who in here is a Christian? And then he would just start berating us with questions and accusations. Maybe, maybe you don't have a moment like that, but maybe more likely, maybe it's not sharing the gospel when you're given an opportunity. Or maybe it's denying him in just simply our actions or our words or our lives by living as if he's not alive. <laughs> living as if he's not the Lord of creation. Maybe by the way we raise our kids or spend our money or spend our time, how we work our jobs, how we treat our neighbors, as we've been talking about, right? Do we treat our neighbors like Christ is the king of everything in our lives? For sure, if they wrote a book about our lives like they did for Peter's. I mean, think about it. How many Bibles do you think there are in the world? Tons, right, over the years? How would you like to be Peter? <laughs> 
and get your story of your lowest point written down and we rehash it every year at this time, right? Not again, right? I mean, if, if they wrote our story, would it look any better than Peter's? If we were honest. Probably, we've had some, probably some rough stretches in there, don't you think? Christians over the last 2,000 years have thought it important to prepare for the season of Easter. The season we celebrate not only Jesus' resurrection, but the price that he was willing to pay and did pay. On whose behalf? Everyone else's, right? No, ours, right? Our behalf. Something that we needed him to pay, right? We needed it. We, we needed it. <laughs> and that's really what the season of Lent is all about. No, no, Lent is not a festival that's described in Scripture, but, but when we take an honest evaluation of our lives, we often come to a place of lament and regret. And the proper response to these is repentance, right? Turning from whatever way we're going and turning back to Jesus, going with him, this really is a good time of year to examine our hearts and recognize our denial of Christ, right? Our need for him. I mean, this is a big part of the gospel, isn't it? The whole reason for the cross in the first place. Why did Jesus need to die? Say those miserable sinners out there, right? Us. <laughs> I mean, Paul talking to, to Timothy, a pastor, he's training in the Lord, right? Right? 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. <laughs> See what it is? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Oh. I mean, do you think that Paul's just needlessly berating himself? Do you think that's what's happening here? No way. I actually think that no other person other than Jesus actually was more hopeful of what could happen when God gets a hold of their lives, right? I mean, this guy was super hopeful, super optimistic about humans in Christ. And let me tell you, he was way better at following those rules than you are, <laughs> right? And yet here he is, probably really good at looking at the truth. Seeing, seeing it for what it is. He knew that if people were ever going to be what God desired them to be, they couldn't do it in their own strength. They couldn't. That's the gospel, right? That's the good news is, is that he didn't let us try to do it on our own, right? We need his help. We need his mercy. We need his grace. We need the cross, we need his covering over our sin. I mean, if there was any other way possible, if he could come up with some great self-discipline program, some self-help program, don't you think Jesus would have done it to avoid the cross? When we look at the cross, we can't help but understand that sin is costly, isn't it? It costs. <laughs> the price is huge, isn't it? And this is not a new thing in the story of humankind. I think sometimes we think that Jesus 
coming to earth was kind of the beginning of the good news. And this was the only time in history that, that a cost was paid for the sin of mankind. Actually, what's interesting is that God has been hinting about this for a long time. Now, Jesus, I would say, when, when God comes in the flesh and he dies for us, that's the ultimate cost, right? The finishing of the task um, in dealing with sin. But I think there's all sorts of hints all through the Old Testament talking about this kind of thing, this, this salvation through the dying, the bleeding for our sins, the cost. Um, we see over and over again these, these glimpses of compassionate covering for our sin. For instance, look at the very first misstep of humankind. If you look in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden fruit, what happened? Well, verse 7 says this, then, then the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were, were opened, and they realized that they were naked. <laughs> so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Do you think that was just about being naked? It's about feeling shame, right? They actually, as they're hiding <laughs> from this thing they've never felt before, right? They couldn't get away from it. And later on, when, when God's looking for them, verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? You see what's happening here? Sin, right? The first sin, the first time that we chose to go our own way, that we, we chose not to walk with God, right? And there were some consequences to it. There was a cost to that, to sin. Later on, as God's explaining how things will change because they decided to follow their own way, right? He's explaining these changes because of sin. How does God deal with the nakedness issue, the, the feeling of the shame? Well, verse 21, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin, Adam and his wife and, and clothe them. Kind of an interesting statement, right? I mean, why would we need to include that in Scripture? Well, we see in Genesis 3.21 that, that covering over sin was actually literal in this case, right? And who paid the cost? Who paid the price to cover over their sin? Where did the skin come from? Well, the Lord slaughtered an animal. And think about this. Adam would have known that animal. Why? He named all the animals. Just got done with that job, right? So <laughs> there was a cost to providing skins to clothe Adam and Eve, wasn't there? The animal was the first in creation to taste death. And that animal's blood was shed not for his own sin, own sin right? but to cover the shame of the first humans who had sinned. So we see this principle here. Covering sin is costly. Costly. At least it was for the animal. <laughs> if you're talking to the animal, did this cost you anything? It's kind of the, the, the story of the, the pig and the, the, the uh, chicken, and they're discussing that which one made the biggest sacrifice. For the, for the meal for the farmer that day, right? Well, the pig actually had to die. The chicken just had to have some eggs. Um, clearly, the, the pig had more involved, right? There was a cost to that. 
The covering of sin is costly. And I think even it was to Adam. I mean, we think about the connection that we have with our animals. And he knew that animal, and that, that animal died. There was a cost to sin. Another example, really before the temple was created, before the religious system was put together of sacrifices, we have this very odd story in Genesis chapter 22 when God calls Abraham to sacrifice his miracle son, right, that came only by the grace of God, um, he calls him to, to offer Isaac as a burnt offering. I mean, that's a pretty odd request, isn't it? I mean, to us, that would be like, what are you talking about, God? But, but in reality, it wasn't unusual at that time period because all their gods, all the other gods, asked for baby um, sacrifices and things like that. It was crazy. God was actually, I, I think, in this story, actually offering a distinction between himself and other gods. He, he, there is still a cost to sin. Someone still needs to cover the sin, but who has to cover the sin is really the question of the story. Genesis 22, verse 13, Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its thorns. He went over, and he took the ram, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering Instead of a son. You see that? The sin was still covered by the death of the, the ram. <laughs> and so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Another example of, of something paying a cost, right? There are several other places we could really look in Scripture. But for time's sake... Um, skip with me to Exodus chapter 12. <laughs> Exodus chapter 12 is actually where it's described the institution of the Passover, right? The celebration of when the Lord rescued the people of Israel from slavery to, to Egypt, if you remember that story. Now, how did God know who he was going to protect that night? How did he know who, was, who his people were? Was it based on who, how, who uh, acted well? Was it based on how good they were? No, it actually was based on whether they were covered by the blood of the lamb, right? Whether their household was covered, literally the door frames of their houses. Exodus 12, beginning with verse 6, speaking of the lambs, take care of them, take care of the lambs until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames and the houses where they eat the lambs. And then on to verse 12, on that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I'm the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. <laughs> so the sign of them being a part of God's people um, was what? <laughs> the blood of the lamb smeared on the outside of the doors. <laughs> and those covered by the blood of the lamb were saved. And those who weren't covered by the blood of the lamb got to face judgment. Again, <laughs> They weren't spared because they were perfect people. 
they were far from it, right? You read the Old Testament, they had all sorts of problems. The cost for their freedom, though, had to be paid. Not by them, but this time it was by the blood of the lambs. Now, this certainly gives us our clearest view of the cross, doesn't it? When the Lamb of God, the firstborn Son of God, he was killed and his shed blood covered over our sin. Jesus himself would be both the slain lamb and the murdered firstborn, right? And he would rise again as the first resurrected one. In fact, the people of Israel, at the point that Jesus died, what are they doing? They're practicing the festival of the Passover with the lambs. It's really interesting to kind of look through the Old Testament and see all these different stories where sin is covered. Sin is covered by someone or something. There's a covering over sin. There's a cost to sin. One other type of covering that I think is worth mentioning here is found in Psalm 91, and you could find this all over in Scripture. But, but in Psalm 91, David spoke of the Lord as a refuge, as a covering of shelter. Um, listen to verse 1. It says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. So in passages like this psalm and, and several other places that you could find th this kind of language, we see a different type of covering that comes from God. And this could be seen as more of a spiritual covering um, that's represented by more things like trusting and, and faithfulness. And, and, and obviously for, for David, there was some times of physical safety. So safety from distress, safety from disaster that really came about by the trusting of God and his shelter, his covering over us. Um, and this really is what living into the most high God looks like, right? This is what it looks like when Christ is king in our lives. He covers us. As we look at scripture, Peter and all of us with him can be thankful that sin is not the end of the story, right? We serve a God who desires to be our cover, our cover for the things that we've done. He, he desires for us to trust in him. And maybe I would say he, 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 he especially <laughs> desires for you to run towards him when you fail and not run away from him, right? He desires to cover over you to take care of you. Whatever you've done, he will pay the cost for that. So when we fail God, when we, when we have difficult times in our lives, what should we do? Don't run and hide like Adam and Eve did, right? Go to him. He's ready to cover you. He's ready to take care of you. Don't abandon him. Think about, actually, Acts chapter 2. We have this... Peter guy, right? He's gone through a very difficult time. 
He's failed miserably, right? This is what he's feeling, Jesus. And yet, who is the chosen speaker at this Pentecost experience, right? In Acts chapter 2, it's Peter. Peter is speaking to people that, that, that he could relate to, right? He's speaking to the very people who are involved in crucifying Jesus. Think about this conversation. Peter and these people could certainly relate with each other. They've, they've had some rough days. And how hard would it be <laughs> to find out that the one that you betrayed was actually the Son of God, the Messiah, right? What in the world was I doing? <laughs> Acts chapter 2, verse 36 Listen to Peter's words. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? I mean, wouldn't that be the natural response? They've blown it. <laughs> and Peter doesn't say, run away, because God's after you, right? What does he say? Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You know what he's saying? You're covered. You're covered. All you got to do is turn around and follow God. Go to him, right? Be baptized. Become one of his followers. Trust him. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll receive his help if you ask for it, right? And he says the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Who should, we, who should respond to this king who wants to cover? Who? Who needs his help? What's well, all of us? All of us everywhere. All of us. For all time, right? We all need his help. Again, failure is not a time when we should run away from our merciful and saving God, right? It's time to run to him, his, his graciousness, his loving. It's time to give thanksgiving to this heavenly father who covered even us. Praise the Lord. So as we move into this season of preparation, remembering the sacrifice that was made on our behalf, ours, made for our sins, the fact that, that Jesus, the Son of God, right, paid the price so that we could be covered. Sin, sin is costly, Right? And yet our sins are forgiven. <laughs> We're going to spend some time participating in communion. It's a good place to go. As we prepare for this time, I really want us to think about some of the rich symbolism tied to Jesus' suffering. Matthew 27, beginning with verse 27, it tells us this. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, 
and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, and then they knelt in front of him, and they mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and they put his own clothes on him. And then they led him away to crucify him. Sin has a cost. And then in verse 37, above his head, they placed the written charge against him. Said, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. It's mock worship, right? Mock worship. If you think about it, the, the crown is what a king wears, right? It's what kings wear. The scarlet robe, what's well, a symbol of the Roman army, isn't it? The pervasive power. <laughs> and they even gave Jesus the scepter. That's kingly, isn't it? This rod in his hand, just like the Roman kings that they had seen. But Jesus was, was more than a Roman emperor, wasn't he? He also affected other people groups. He was labeled king of the Jews, a sign over his head. And even in this, there's just so much rich, rich meaning. To accuse Jesus of being a king is really to accuse him of usurping the powers that be, right? The Roman Empire. <laughs> the charge against him was explicitly political in nature, but, but not fully, not just political, because the temple leaders, they saw it, didn't they? They saw the sign over his head, King of the Jews. Jesus, is, Jesus was also accused of spiritual things. He had spiritual importance, as evidenced by this demand that we see in John 19, where the leaders of the Jews, the temple leaders, demand that that sign be changed, right? Verse 21, it says, The chief priests of the Jews pro protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. <laughs> and what does Pilate say? What I've written, I've written. Wow. That came to be true, didn't it? I mean, little did these soldiers know as they're doing this mockery, as they're making fun of Jesus, that he was far greater than anything that he could, they could ever imagine, right? He's way more powerful than the Roman emperor, emperor way more powerful than the, just a king of the Jews, right? Jesus was and still is the only ruler of creation. And yet his mission defines his kingship to be a king who dies, to be a king who covers the sins of his people, to be a king that's compassionate and loving so that even his accusers might live, right? 
No doubt the blood of Jesus covers over our sin and, and makes a new kingdom possible. A kingdom that, that none of these, as they're mocking Jesus, would have even thought about, thought was possible. A new way of life, a new way really to be human. Far different, again, than what they could imagine. Jesus' very presence on the cross announces that those who follow him will live into this new way of being. It's characterized, imagine him being your king by compassion, by love, by forgiveness, by sacrifice, a life of worship, real worship, not mockery worship, right? King Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. The soldiers, they mockingly bowed before Jesus in his robe and his crown. And we're called to bow and worship, aren't we? Worship is the singular act of devotion that declares Jesus the king of creation and king of our lives. Jesus is the king of kings. So especially in the season of Lent, as Easter approaches, it's appropriate for us to remind ourselves of this urgency to worship Jesus. Not a mockery, with our, but our whole lives. And most people equate worship with Sunday morning, and it's certainly appropriate to, to start the process there, right? Worship. It's, it's way broader than that, isn't it? Worship can and should happen every place we go. Anytime we're talking to the Lord in prayer, we should be giving him praise and, and worshiping him. That could happen anywhere. Worship should impact our whole existence, right? As we enter into a time of communion, let's remember our King of Kings who we worship. Remember that he truly is greater than the Emperor of Rome. He truly is the King of the Jews. And we give thanks to him for being our cover for our sin, for paying the price, shedding his blood for me, his body that was broken for me. The King of Kings died for me. Not so I could grovel and sin, but that I might live for him. So as we usually do, we're going to prepare our hearts with a song. Would you be talking to him even now, declaring him your king? Thanking him for his cover. <laughs> And as you're ready to come forward, just come forward and, and receive the elements. Uh, remember that the cups are stacked and there's bread in one and juice in the other, so take them both and they're all gluten-free and hold on to them <laughs> until we take them together, all those usual instructions. And if you don't feel comfortable coming forward, Wayne will stand up towards the end and see if there's some that he could come and serve. So 
catches attention at that point. But would you pray with me this morning? Lord God, we are so, so thankful that we serve a good God, a great God, a God that we don't deserve, a God who is willing to pay the price, the cost, so that we could have a relationship with you. Lord, there's no other way to get there. We were so broken without you. We need your help in our lives. Thank you so much for sending your son to die for our sins, to cover our sins. And Lord, at this time, help us to have a heart of thanksgiving towards you. Help us to remember that it was our sins that you died for. We praise you this morning. The hope that you bring into our lives because you paid the price. You paid the cost. Give you praise this morning.
Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you eat and be thankful? In the same way, after, he su after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Drink and be thankful. James 5, 19 and 20 says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. <laughs> See that? <laughs> cover. What does it look like to live into the kingdom of God? Would it, would it might? <laughs> would it be surprising to us if we were to offer that same type of cover for other people? <laughs> for those maybe even undeserving? In fact, look at Proverbs 10, 12. It says, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. I could go on and on. I'm not going to preach another sermon. <laughs> but when we live out the gospel, part of that is living into covering over the undeserving with compassion, with forgiveness. So people of God, you are a blessed people. We are a blessed people by the covering of God. This week, be the good news people. Be the good news people. Let's stand with Peter as, as experienced grace receivers. And so be willing to offer that same grace to others as Peter did to, for those he preached to on Acts 2, right? And let's love the world with the love of our king. The king of kings. Shall we? think you can pull that off <laughs> only by the grace of God right may God work in your hearts as you trust in him you are sent <laughs>